Hello and welcome to Re-Energize. This is the place to discover emerging tech in the offshore renewables and the way that we'll harness offshore resources to meet our future energy needs. My name is Stephanie Mann and I'm Innovation Manager at the Offshore Renewable Energy Catapult, the UK's leading innovation centre for offshore renewables. We connect academics, industry and agile enterprises working or entering into the offshore wave, wind and tidal sectors. And speaking of small and medium enterprises, in today's episode, we'll find out how SMEs are capitalising on the huge opportunities in offshore renewables. We have Mark from JBA Consulting, we have James from Renewable Parts, and we have Kenny from Span Access Solutions. So Mark, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Mark Lawless. I'm uh, one of the directors at JBA Consulting. So JBA Consulting is a, um, uh, a weather, flood and environmental risk management consultancy working across a range of sectors, including government, the international development space, and also the energy sector, and, and in particular now the offshore renewable energy sector. Perfect. That's, that's, that's really good. And you were talking about how you actually started as an SME when you're entering into offshore wind. Would you like to talk a little bit about your, your journey and growth in the offshore wind sector briefly? Sure, yes. We were an SME uh, when, we, when we entered into the offshore wind sector. Um, so we've got something like 20 years experience in, in terms of flood and environmental risk management, as I mentioned before, across, across a wide range of sectors. And we've done that using advanced modeling, analytics and engineering solutions to help manage flood related risks. And we long had an aspiration to, to jump into the offshore renewable energy sector because it ticked a lot of, of boxes that were important to the people in our company. Um, so. We, when we decided to do that in 2014, we made a business decision to do that. At that time, we hired somebody in from the renewable sector to help kickstart that, to help us understand what makes the renewables sector tick. Um, and that got us going, and we developed a, a, a sort of market entry strategy at that perspective. And that market entry strategy was all around the, the fact that um, we knew if we wanted to get into the sector, we couldn't just come in and do the things that other people do, our competitors mm -hmm. do. We needed to do something that was a bit different. Um, so what we also wanted to do was, was to learn from what we were already good at. Mm -hmm. So what were we good at in the sectors that we were working in? Analytics and modeling and software development. And how can we take those sorts of technologies and refocus them or reprogram them to work in the offshore renewable sector in a way that will get us traction and a USP. Um, so we came up with a strategy for some technology that we'll no doubt talk a little bit more about today called called Forecoast Marine, which is all about managing metocean and weather-related risks on offshore energy projects, which are very costly from the perspective of vessels. Um, so we came up with this concept and pitched it, and got a chance to pitch it to Scottish Power Renewables, and very thankfully at the time they, they latched onto it straight away and actually invested in that technology and gave us uh, the opportunity to collaborate under a Scottish Enterprise grant and also an Innovate UK grant. And that was really what got us off the ground uh, and got us moving um, with something a little bit different. So Mark, it was really interesting what you said about finding your particular niche in the sector and, and areas for growth. And James, that's quite similar to your story. Would you like to introduce yourself and, and your company? So I'm, I'm James Barry. I'm the chief executive for Renewable Parts. Uh, I'm a relative newcomer to the renewables industry. I'm four years in um, and I, I spent 25 years of my career in aerospace uh, working on gas turbines for Airbus and Boeing aircraft. 
the similarities between the two industries are, are quite dramatic and uh, I was very much drawn to that and the fact that it was a, a young emerging uh, sector which was obviously on a very strong growth path. So our, our business is very simply and um, the concept of it was to how we could introduce more circular economy principle and thinking into the industry. Back in 2011-12 uh, there was really a complete absence of that and our founder Ewan Anderson spotted that opportunity uh, I mean I th unfortunately at the time I think it was a little bit ahead of its time and we struggled to get any real connection with businesses but certainly in the last 12 to 18 months there's been a complete sea change and we are now working with some very large businesses very big utility companies who all want to get involved and I think the, the whole climate change media coverage has, has really brought that to a head. Businesses are thinking very hard about their corporate social responsibilities and they realize they've got to do more. Uh, so that's all good news. So we are delighted to um, be trying to provide those types of solutions. Much like, as Mark said earlier, we wanted to differentiate our service offering from other people already existing in industry. Uh, and we feel through this we're doing that uh, in partnership with Strathclyde University who are our innovation partner so it's you know it's it's very promising uh, and the good news is that the industry has a very long life cycle 25 years so you have to take a long perspective you obviously have to have the conviction of your your views and, and invest strongly but the um, the opportunity is long-lived and I think as we all know the offshore industry in particular is is going to be exponential in growth uh, and the UK is without question leading the way there so we're hugely excited by that possibility. Absolutely it's a really exciting opportunity and I'm really glad you talked about growth and the exponential growth and it's a really uh, very important thing especially as we're sort of transitioning away from you know oil and gas and traditional in industry and moving more into renewables and I think that's a perfect segue into Kenny and, and your story and your background if, if you want to talk a little bit about yourself. So I'm Kenny Wiggins, I'm the chairman of Span Access Solutions. Uh, we're based in Kinross and also have an office in Methyl. Uh, we specialise in creating kind of alternative innovative access solutions predominantly for oil and gas and also for infrastructure. So we've been going since 2011 uh, started in the back of kind of the oil and gas industry and bringing kind of safer working practices to uh, working offshore and looking at offshore wind it seemed a natural progression uh, as James was saying a few minutes ago it's still an immature and kind of kind of fairly new industry and one of the things we're trying to do is literally try and shape the kind of working practice and shape methodologies I still think there's a I view the fact well we've always done it this way and even though it's a, a relatively small and relatively immature industry we're still trying to break these barriers down uh, and we're, what we try to do is take the learnings we've had in oil and gas uh, take our own technical USP and bring that to offshore wind. I think the, you're spot on there I think one of the battles that we have with innovation in, in offshore wind in particular is this is the way we've always done it so we'll put onshore wind turbines into the water and learn as we go along and while it's a rapidly growing industry it's actually quite sluggish in its innovation and, and bringing in new technologies or or techniques or you know access solutions or new services and um, that's somewhere where industries are 
innovators tend to struggle to get into renewables. I call that innovation inertia, which <laughs> yeah. I think is a significant issue, but it is, to, it, it is there are movements for it to be overcome. But I think that is, that is always the challenge if you're a newcomer to a sector and you're trying to bring a new innovation to that sector. There is mm -hmm. always an inertia there. Uh, and you talked about conviction. Um, you know, a, a company requires conviction to break through that innovation. Yeah. The amount of times I've been in a meeting where someone says, that's absolutely fantastic. It's absolutely what we need, but we didn't know we need it, so we don't have a budget item. <laughs> that is an issue, and you have to persevere and try and break the, those things down, because then the opposite of inertia, or, or the, the stagnant part of inertia, is that once it kicks in, then you've got your, your growth there. Mm -hmm. So it's about having that, that conviction to move forward. Absolutely. I think if I can back to maybe seven or eight years ago, just around the time the catapult was starting or just before that, there was this expectation created from the political landscape that offshore wind was going to be huge, it was going to be immediate. Things like that never happen overnight, they always take time. Absolutely. And I think, kind of going back that, kind of maybe five or six years ago, things dropped off, and it's probably in the last three or four that uh, that's starting to pick up. And I think there's now a lot more momentum being built up, which is allowing kind of new entrants to the sector or entrants that have started now starting to show a result for that or starting to show a return from it. Yeah, we're starting to actually almost prove that the industry is worth yeah. investing it's in. It's not an immediate worth. start. Yeah. You were going to say something? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, let's be frank, the British haven't been great at seeing through innovation. I think we believe we are great innovators and I think there are many examples of that. But actually translating innovation into industrialised solutions, scaling up, putting those investments in has not been actually something we have been particularly good at and other countries have done that. I think when I think about the wind industry, there's something ironic about the fact that we're a big adopter of wind and we buy a lot of wind turbines and yet we don't design or manufacture any wind turbines. Mm -hmm. um, the Dutch, the Danes, the Germans, the Spanish have all done that. Uh, we obviously have a service industry on the back of that. We have the opportunity to do much more innovation, and I think this is a real test for us, a great opportunity but a real test, and we're optimistic that we're going to change that, that course. Uh, I think government policy is in the right place. Obviously, there's got to be a lot of UK content in some of these projects. Um, we just need to now translate that, and I think from our perspective as a small business, we see with customers a willingness to talk about innovation but a, a fear of actually applying it because it's almost this mindset that every egg has to be a bird and the whole, very definition of innovation is it can't be you know you're going through a learning process you will have misfires mm -hmm. so whilst we're trying to persuade people to do some of the things that we're working on actually getting the confidence in those businesses to do it and pilot and experiment is an altogether different proposition and takes an enormous amount of resilience and patience to do. Absolutely. Getting good champions in the client space yes. uh, you know, helps to make that egg a small bird yeah. uh, and, and you often need that first champion to, to, to bring you forward or whatever it is you're bringing forward once you've done that. Then again, your, your momentum can, can kick in there. The challenge in any operating environment and coming from a background of operations in electronics and oil and gas 
talking about from personally, is operation individuals or people responsible for operations invariably dealing in the here and now. They're dealing with operation efficiency now. They're dealing with what the output is now. They're not necessarily looking far enough in advance to see the impacts of what you can see when you bring innovation to bear. And it, you need to be speaking to the right person within an industry, or the right person within an organisation. Finding a champion, as we were just saying a few minutes ago, there is ideal. Uh, we're doing some work with a uh, one of the kind of the cell manufacturers, one of the turbine manufacturers, and we've now got a champion within them who is helping open up doors within wider parts of their organisation. Uh, so, what we're doing just now within Span is that product development piece. We're in that detailed design. And another thing you shouldn't be afraid of doing is you're trying to the sector is going with ideas. We met, I'll depersonalise it, won't use the company name, but we met this uh, large turbine manufacturer in uh, Denmark and we went there with 10 or 12 concepts. And we went with the concepts, their reaction was, well, why are you not here to show us a finalised design and actually give us something to actually feedback on? And we know we're coming here with 10 or 12 concepts. We want your feedback on this. We're looking to develop this with you. If we come as a fait accompli and say, there's kind of design A, and invariably you'll turn around and say, design A is not going to work for X, Y, and Z. So why not come with kind of a suite of design concepts, get your feedback from it, and then uh, develop that, not necessarily in conjunction with you, but taking you on the journey with us. Oh, that's and that's what we that that's what we're in the process just now of trying to do. Where in your innovation journey do you bring the end user on? Because you know, you ideally you'd want them on from from day one to be able to tell you exactly their requirements and their needs. Um, but the willingness to invest that time and effort and, and essentially money into a brand new concept is far too risky for for big industries. You know, from the catapult point of view. We're looking at technologies that are probably going to enter the market in three to five years, which is far too long for an industry to get involved in. But it's something that we can see having that opportunity in that time. And then once there's that mm. proof of concept there, since we know the kind of general end user requirements, we can you know, in, in, inform them and guide them so that they can prove their concept to then sell to the end user saying this will be ready in one year or you know, 18 months kind of thing. I think. It's very interesting when you look at big business and you look at how big business is set up. They have obviously the funds to drive some of the innovations we're talking about. But when you look at them, they're actually big production systems. They do something, they want consistency and minimum variation. And innovation by its definition won't necessarily provide that. It'll provide great opportunity in the future. Therefore, somehow those businesses need to isolate the innovation under pilots uh, and work with businesses, invariably quite small businesses, SMEs, because they are more agile and they are more willing to make those strides. Um, most people I speak to in big business say there's an enormous amount of inertia in here. The weight of the organization is such that it actually stifles innovation. Uh, I remember working, shadowing Lego many years ago, and the innovation team there didn't report to the board, had its own budget, the board didn't know what it was doing. And it was deliberately set up that way so it could breathe and actually do some of the things that are required that somehow might spook those upstairs I'm, in the organisation. I'm, I'm this guy thinking that people are frightened of. I'm, right? just, I'm just curious what kind of innovations are in Lego. Like, the shape's been the same since, what, the 1930s or something? Oh, right? You've obviously not played with it. 
It's driving immense amounts of innovation. Yeah. I mean, it's it's creating a, the future innovators as well. Incredible, so. incredible story. And, and we're learning from kids and yeah. behaviors and yeah. how they okay. work. Um, but no, I, I think, you know, for me, the thing that we have been talking a lot about, and I, I guess the, the in vogue term is clustering, we, mm. we don't have a, you know, preoccupation with we have to make everything we can't we're too small so my job is to go and find great businesses with great expertise and skills that complement what we want to do Absolutely. and yeah. and it's that success through partnership that's our philosophy as a business so I'm delighted to not have to invest the money myself co-invest in it with other businesses and find that brilliance and you know it's the old two and two makes five so that that really is where we need to be as an industry we need to create infrastructure uh, environments where smaller businesses can come together work together the ideas then start to take hold yeah. and, and that will then produce a much more vibrant outcome I think you've touched on a, a really important point and collaboration has been absolutely core to our strategy to getting into the sector for a number of reasons such as what you said um, the you know one of the key things is an SME coming into a sector like this uh, they may not be known in any way, shape, or form. Um, and that, that is a difficult thing to overcome for two reasons. Number one is the reputational side of things. People don't know who you are, so they're perhaps not, not that keen to listen to you. And secondly, if you're coming into the sector, you probably don't know a lot about the sector. Mm. And actually collaboration with other organizations can help break down some of those chains because if you're associating with a known entity, then you're associating with a badge that's got some confidence in it, which is massive. Also, that collaborative partner will have a network within the sector already, uh, and you can engage with them and break down those doors much more easily. That helps you understand how your product fits within that market much more mm. clearly, and it gives you access to a client network that you would have otherwise not had. So we've, you know, collaboration has been very key to us working with the likes of the Met Office and C-Rock and Waves Group and other organizations who had an established relationship and an established place there. And I think that that's really important for SME entry. I've got a question for uh, all three of you actually is, where do you think as a kind of now insider, where do you think the biggest areas of growth are in the industry or where do you see your own personal company maybe moving into to new areas? I, I suspect each one of us will have a different angle here That's because <laughs> uh, whilst we've got some common themes that we're talking about, the, the products or the services that we're coming from are, are, are quite different. Certainly from our perspective, it's digitalization, it's, mm -hmm. it's bringing on innovation. I think what's been quite interesting is in the, in the offshore renewable energy sector, there's been huge innovation uh, in turbine manufacturing and bringing down the costs of some of these big elements and there's been big cost savings that have been realized there. I think we're actually entering into another stage now where it's about the more marginal gains. Mm -hmm. and, and that's where, in particular, SMEs can come in there. So where we're heading as a company really is, is you know, the work that we do is all about optimizing the way that uh, a developer builds a wind farm or carries out O&M on a wind farm to manage logistics and, and met ocean risks. And increasingly, all that technology is driven by artificial intelligence, mm -hmm. by machine learning. Uh, and these are all key bits of technology that we're, that we're driving forward very rapidly um, and have significant potential to make big chunks of marginal gains uh, in efficiency there. And I think if you, if you then multiplying that by all the other partners or all the other 
people in the industry that can make those additional marginal increases, then you're continuing to make those large overall increases. And I think that's where the shift of innovation is coming, in, in my opinion. Anyhow. Well, from our perspective, I think there are two, two key areas. The first is around um, circular economy and reuse. So it's well mapped out in other adjacent industries, which are perhaps more mature, that in the first phase of designing a product, you design for performance. Then you design for performance and maintenance. Then you design for performance, maintenance, and manufacture in terms of your yield. And the last one really is you design for reuse. So if you look at automotive, which is a good yardstick, today Toyota will recycle 97% of a Toyota car. Okay. The question I would have is, are we really thinking that way in the wind industry? I think we've been thinking very much about performance and scale and size and building out infrastructure. And that's understandable. It's, it's almost been like the the gold rush. Mm. But as we mature, we're going to have to think much more about the longevity of the industry, the 25-year life cycle, and how we take cost out of that, manage that better. And reuse has to be a massive part of that agenda. Mm. It has to be. We, we have a duty to do it. It's not optional. It's, it's mandatory. And I think in time, legislation will come in to drive, drive that even harder. Um, so that's one area. I think the second area relates to condition monitoring. So that is digitization. It's looking at data. It's monitoring and predicting the future. And we know from aerospace, where I spent my time, that if something is predictable, we can now predict it. So that's why you can fly an aircraft on one engine four hours from a diversional airport, because you can predict what's going to happen on the engine. Um, so that technology exists today. We need to read it across to the wind industry. And if we can do that, then we can drive better inventory management strategies. Because if you can predict what's in the future, you can have the right amount of inventory around you at the right time and take a huge amount of cost out of our, our, our um, operations. So for me, I think those are the two obvious areas. Both happen to relate to things we're interested in doing, mm -hmm. so it may sound a little bit parochial, but we're quite delighted about that. Well, that's why you're working in them, right? So For sure. And, and really, uh, for us, it's about finding partners, as I said earlier, who have the requisite expertise that we can harness and use and collaborate with Absolutely. to get those solutions. Just to pick up what the guys were saying, I think a digital side is most certainly there, because you can't... With, particularly with offshore wind, you can't just nip out to the local wind farm, trial on something, see if it works, then come back off. Uh, so getting into the whole digital thing, augmented reality, virtual reality, and we're currently looking at that and seeing how we can take the, the CAD models that we're developing. And there's so many interfaces now where you can take an output from CAD and input it straight into that. So we're mm -hmm. currently looking at that. But I'd like to try and kind of bring back, just that James is there, about the whole collaboration piece. Uh, as an SME, we are continually trying to punch above our weight, and the way we try and punch above our weight is have these collaborative partnerships, has, have the links into the sector. Uh, our, our starting this journey started from the very much along the lines of my relationship and previous relationships with the Catapult, talking to them, identifying there was an Innovate UK call. So I'd encourage anybody that's trying to get into the sector to be aware of the funding opportunities there, uh, particularly with Innovate UK, if not necessarily Scottish Enterprise, but certainly Innovate UK. And any of these propositions that you're putting in, if you're going in as a consortium with a group of organisations working together, that always helps the case. Uh, and 
what we've done is partnered with a couple of universities and people would say why universities because the fact that that can be different agendas we're using in the universities to actually give us some independent feedback both from an ergonomical perspective and also from an engineering perspective because what we're trying to do in that is make sure that we when we finish this a product introduction, a product development, so product introduction, which is part of this project, is that we have something that's validated externally, not just by us, uh, and we're going to be storyboarding the, the kind of the whole introduction and how it's going to be utilised, and that's what we've agreed with that kind of turbine manufacturer I was referring to earlier. But it's trying to get that independent assessment, which gives that credibility. Uh, I continually talk about credibility as being incremental. You literally want to have incremental credibility as you move forward, and that can come from some of these collaborative partners with industry bodies like the Catapult or organisations that have that independence like universities or organisations who have got an already established supply chain into offshore wind. So everyone here has mentioned um, digitisation and the growth in that kind of sector of things, but one of the, the big issues with that is having enough data to inform your actual decision-based, you know, monitoring, decision-based uh, forecasting and these sort of things. Is there enough collaboration in that area and is there enough data? I don't think there is, certainly just now, I th but every organisation that's involved in the sector has got a commercial slant on it and the values in the data. So I can understand why there's a reluctance to share it. But can, as we know, the data informs the decision making. And if, you, if you're not having access to some of that data, will influence the decision making and you can go down what I call a suboptimal path. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's having that availability of data. I think data is a, a very interesting and, and misunderstood area. Um, one of the misnomers about data is the data is owned by the customer. It's not owned by the OEM, it's not owned by Vestas or Siemens or Gamesa, it's owned by the customer. How the customer chooses to share it is obviously their, their own call and if they collaborate with others then a bigger data pool can, can tell you a lot more. When you translate data into intelligence through sophisticated algorithms that interpolate between historical trends, those sorts of things and typically in condition monitoring are owned by the OEM and they will be very reluctant to give that learning up because they have you know, commercial interests that sit behind it. But the, the challenge for us all is how do we find a happy ground to share that? Mm. Uh, my, my past is, as I say, in aerospace and in aerospace um, you are by law mandated to share data and it's because of safety. So safety drives everything and you have to open up and share data. Um, so we're not quite there in the wind industry. Um, we believe that there is great potential to use that data to inform better decision making in the future. I think the question here is how do we get customers, suppliers, manufacturers to view that that is best for everyone if we start to offer up some of this and free it up and we'll all progress much more rapidly and I think that that is still an open question and I personally think that if we can find a happy ground sooner rather than later we'll be able to accelerate in our industry and, and actually make bigger strides in terms of technology and, and operational efficiency. Absolutely, the growth of the sector benefits everyone in that sector rather than the individual uh, Yes, yeah, really interesting. Were you going to say something, Eugene? Yes, I mean, a d a data underpins absolutely everything that we do. Um, and if bad data comes in, bad data goes out. That's mm -hmm. that's essentially w what the situation is. 
So I would just echo what's already been said that the that, that data sharing is, is a challenge and continues to be a challenge. Um, things like reliability and failure rates on, on, on devices and turbines that, that underpins a lot of what we do. Um, uh, we, yeah, we need to find ways to, we need two things. We need to find ways of, of better sharing that data, uh, perhaps through anonymized programs. So I would imagine that, well, I know that organizations such as Offshore Renewable Energy Catapult and the Crown Estate and others, you know, they're in a good position to to work towards collation of anonymized data in some shape, shape or form. So that's perhaps one thing to progress. There are, are also analytical approaches that, that help to steer around uncertainty. Um, and and those need to be progressed, and there's a whole there's a whole piece around the mathematics and the analytics behind that, um, and you know we're dealing with some of that. So I think you have to advance both the sharing of the data and and using machine learning and AI and other techniques that can help steer around some of the uncertainty associated with low levels of data. So if you're progressing both of those things, then ultimately you end up in a better place over time. When you were mentioning there the sort of failure rates and sort of maintenance and stuff, Kenny, you've got a lot of experience in kind of um, operations, maintenance, access and stuff. I know you wanted to say something ab about I that. Think I think there's great opportunities for Scotland in relation to the whole maintenance aspect, the whole operation maintenance aspect. Uh, as we see the fact that more and more of the wind farms get constructed, that whole maintenance sector is going to expand. And the conversation about data there is obviously going to help help facilitate that. But when you're looking for data, you're not necessarily looking for the specifics to a specific customer or a specific supplier. And kind of what we're just saying there about anonymizing it is key as well. So uh, just getting that information available. But I would encourage organisations who are out there who have a specialism in one sector to look see how they can bring their skills and their USP into the one sector as we move further and further into that whole operating environment which we're going to be progressing through the next not just one or two years but the next probably a couple of decades. You know to reiterate this there's there's longevity in this in this whole sector there's real opportunities for growth for new companies to enter in there is innovation happening and as you were saying you know now that we're kind of a mature sector it's that finding those incremental uh, sort of key elements to fit together like a jigsaw. I think there are both to be honest I think there will always be incremental gains mm -hmm. but I think there are some very dramatic gains to be had as well mm -hmm. by virtue of the fact we're so immature. Absolutely. Uh, I mean I often use this phrase we're a green energy source but not a green aftermarket and what I mean by that is the level of reuse is is, is limited yeah. and in comparison with other adjacent sectors we're poor we, we shouldn't beat ourselves up too much about that insofar as we're young and they've been at this a long a lot longer but we've got to move we've got to move rapidly mm. and there are definitely huge gains to be had in that in that particular area and we are obviously trying to agitate and poke and prod people to to sit up and, and adopt that so that for me is a is a dramatic gain and the other thing I would say which again is to our advantage as, a, as an industry here in the UK is it's critical that we have close proximity to the assets so it's no point transporting parts and product hundreds thousands of miles away from where they are you know we've bought this infrastructure we've installed this infrastructure we use it we need capabilities nearby mm -hmm. that can support it. So that whole idea of local economy and supporting the infrastructure nearby 
again is going to become much more prevalent and important. Um, where that's key is there are debates in the news that probably most people heard yesterday in relation to potentially a wind farm off the Fife coast where jackets going to be sourced from Indonesia. The people need to look at what the total cost is. Mm. The total cost here is not the buy price of the jacket, whether it's bought in Fife or it's bought in Indonesia. It's the total cost in relation to the sporting of it, the local, the impact to the local economy of it. If, if jobs are lost in one area, then it's not just the jobs in that organisation, it's the whole infrastructure around that, even from the local kind of corner shop itself. So that whole total cost, I'm not saying it's an easy calculation to do, but that overall cost is key to an area or key to a sector and there has to be that local content. So the appeal here is from a legislative perspective, from a policy perspective, from a political perspective to make sure that that kind of local content is specific to the local region, the fact it's going to be supporting or geographically close to where the wind farm is going to be. I mean the other consideration to bear in all of this is, is carbon footprint. And the one thing we can say about wind turbines, they are very large structures and they are very heavy. So transporting product a long distance has a big carbon footprint mm. and we can avoid that. Mm. And, and I often talk to people about, well, let's move away from the price of the product and let's move away, move towards the, financial cost. the total yeah, environmental cost. impact, mm. which has it in its own sense of cost. So once you train, change the language and translate it into that way, then I think you start to get people thinking differently and different decisions come out, better decisions come out. And I, I think that's, that's just about awareness and being able to use the right language so that people are better informed and can then make, hopefully, an improved decision. So one final question then would be, um, in your own company, what areas or markets do you see yourself moving into and, and growing in um, as part of the sector? Um, James, I'll start with you. There are, there are several actually. The obvious one to say is, is, is geographical. Um, we would obviously like to extend into more overseas markets which today represent a minority of our business but we have taken the view very strongly that we needed to build and prove capability here in our home market before we can try and export something which is not strong enough. I think we're now at that point. Capability in terms of breadth, both breadth and depth actually, but what products are we on? and how much depth on those products can we offer. So that is really important to us, and we think long and hard about what technology types we, we invest in. Mm. And I think the other thing that's coming up very fast and is starting to catch a bit of attention is the whole, I guess, it's the circle of life, really, which is turbines need to be decommissioned. Mm -hmm. And we are thinking very hard about decommissioning and what that means and how that can be used uh, and reintroduced into the supply chain. So. I don't believe the processes and the capabilities have, have yet been really established. Not at all. <laughs> people are starting to think about it and talk about it, but it's, as always with these things, it's complicated. Uh, it's one thing m manufacturing and assembling a product and putting it in the ground, but actually taking it down, disassembling it and reuse and doing it in an environmentally sensitive way is actually quite a challenge. So that, for me, certainly represents a very exciting opportunity mm. and really s sits very comfortably with the whole ethos of our business which is around generating you know, a green aftermarket which you know, I think to the idea of what is our legacy what would be the legacy we would like as a business it would be just that that we've been a pioneer we've been instrumental in driving the, the industry towards a greener aftermarket. Amazing. Kenny how about yourself what what markets do you see yourself moving into? 
we're at this point in time, and we're probably over the next kind of six or nine months, it's trying to bring the product we're working on just now into the market and then see who we can roll it. Like Jeans was saying, the fact that from a geographical internationalisation aspect, that is very much on our cards, particularly going into Europe and the European wind farms. Particularly for the ones that are serviced from mainland Europe but still coming into the North Sea area. So there's a fairly close proximity there geographically. From a legacy perspective, we've talked quite a bit in relation to the industries relates in its infancy still. It's still a, a high level of kind of immaturity in it. As a result of that, I think they are incremental gains, as we've said before, but I think there's also step gains as well, just to reinforce that. And that comes down to the methodologies that we're using. We're using methods, the fact that have been inherited from other sectors, or we've started to use it, we always do it this particular way. And again, even in the, f- the few years, the fact that the sector's been going, that kind of become standard practice and the standard methodology. As technology moves and ideas and more innovation comes in, that means the fact that it's not just product innovation, it's process and methodology innovation. So our kind of legacy that we'd like to bring to it is actually changing the mindsets and changing the, the way things are done uh, because the products that we are trying to bring to market will invariably mean the fact we need to change the methods for doing it and people need to be open to them. Brilliant. Okay, yeah, from, from JBA's perspective, from, from a technical perspective, I think, um, to, to echo something that Kenny said, I think there's still a lot of, well, there's a huge amount of growth for us in the offshore wind sector, um, uh, and we see that as continuing to advance the technology that we've got. I've, I've already mentioned about you know machine learning and AI that is absolutely essential to what we do. Our technology helps to, desi- helps to optimize decision-making about when you undertake operations, how you undertake O&M, how you steer around the weather, how you optimize logistics. Moving forward in time, we'll start to bring in other variables such as well-being, seasickness, um, satellite data, um, AIS data, um, and bring all these forms of data together so that decision-making isn't just simply about you know, what's the prediction of a significant wave height. It's about all the Metocean parameters, along with the well-being parameters, along with, you know, all other forms of parameters, such as the prediction of the energy output and the revenue generations and how you make decisions around when do you shut a turbine down to do a maintenance operation or, or otherwise. So it's all about bringing together big data into into those solutions. Um, so I think we'll continue to do that and, and hopefully um, trod on new ground that hasn't been there before and, and, and hopefully lead the way there. Uh, in terms of geographical side of things, um, you know, like lots of people, uh, the key markets on our minds outside of the European markets are, you know, Taiwan, Japan, um, in the US in particular, those, those, those markets, uh, because they'll be looking to Europe for the learning that's been gained here, really. And if you can get ahead of head here, then we can get ahead there. Absolutely, huge opportunities to export not only products but knowledge, yeah. learning, and services. So, thank you for for that, James, Mark, Kenny. Thank you for participating in today's episode. It's time to de-energize until next time. In the meantime, listeners can find more news on renewable energy at um, the ORE Catapult website. Notes in the show notes below. And would you like to briefly tell us where we can find more information about you and your companies? Yes, for, for JBA, you can um, go onto our website, www.jbaconsulting.com, 
Also visit our Four Coast Marine website, which is the key technology that we use in, in the offshore wind sector, and that's www.fourcoastmarine.com. And of course, we're on Twitter as well at, eight, at JBA Consulting and at Four Coast Marine. We have uh, lots to learn um, and offer through our website, uh, renewable-parts.com. We have a very active Twitter feed, at Renewable Parts. And we have also been using LinkedIn actually very actively too. So there's a lot of information that we're starting to feed to our customers through LinkedIn. And we are always very, very pleased and happy to engage with people who have more, more requests and want to know more about what we're up to. Great. Kenny Wiggins from Span Access. Enjoyed the session here. We'd welcome talk to anybody across any sector who are looking to minimize a manual handling, minimize working at height and obviously increase the safety aspect and operational improvements uh, and you can find us either through LinkedIn uh, as James was saying a few minutes ago we heavily use that and you'll find Span Access on LinkedIn and our website which is spanaccess.co.uk and we're looking forward to hearing from other people Amazing, right, thank you everyone